Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. I'm here with Adam. How and everything. <laughs> hey, Adam. Adam goes ham on Instagram and Twitter. Yep. Ham on everything. <laughs> so you were born in Chicago, but moved early on to like Westwood, right? I was born in Chicago, and at one years old, we did move to LA. I think before Westwood, we lived in Encino. Yeah. Which is interesting. Up the street from where Michael Jackson lived at one point. Oh wow. Like he lived there in the. This is I'm a little older. So this is in the 80s. And I yeah. think it was before Neverland Ranch. That's crazy. Anyways, we lived in Encino, but I think <laughs> that a year after that is when we moved to Westwood. Yeah. Where I lived until, like, uh, fifth grade. Yeah. And you and your dad's personalities are really similar. He did his first, like, the first, uh, like, video store. He opened yeah. the third video rental store in the U.S. But it was his idea first, he says. <laughs> but even before that, like, in college, he was, like, the college promotions manager for, Colum for Columbia Records. So he was, like... Um, so yeah, and then he's done even more things like that because then he um, was CEO and founder of Morpheus, which is like one of those um, oh peer-to-peer -peer file sharing networks where you download music. Yeah. So he did that. So he's always kind of um, you know doing shit. Yeah. And ahead of the curve. And your mom was was it accounting? Yeah, she did accounting. You did good research. <laughs> yeah, she did accounting. Yeah. Actually, in the '80s, she worked down here downtown at the Bank of America building. Oh. What is her personality like? She's very, um, I don't know, she's like very put together and very logical and very rational. Yeah. And like, she's definitely my rock. I even have a tattoo that says mom and it's an anchor because she's literally my anchor. Oh. Then you guys are pretty different, right? Your personalities are like some, some places are the same. Yeah. And it's funny because I date women that are like very, oh, this sounds creepy now. I date women <laughs> that are like my mom that are very like... <laughs> structured oh and and like you know uh, rational it's like not what I'm like at all yeah that's I mean that makes sense then so you're more like your dad definitely yeah, yeah even like now that I'm older my mom be like oh you're so much like your dad yeah so she says it <laughs> often and you weren't really into school like growing up were you <laughs> not at all yeah <laughs> hated school I don't think school's for everyone it's funny because like now I'm really into reading and it's like, I'll read these books I know, like, are classics. And everyone's like, oh, I read that in high school. And it's like, yo, you read fucking awesome books in high school. And I don't even remember that at all. I didn't read any fucking books in high school. Yeah. You read The Stranger by Camus. That's, like, such a heavy book. I can't believe high school kids read that. <laughs> and what about your personality do you think early on made you kind of more of, like, a drug-addictive personality? So I think early on, it's funny to talk about drug-addictive drug as we're yeah. by Skid Row. <laughs> People that are addicted to drugs, drugs are never the problem. Drugs are the solution to the problem. Mm. So even before drugs, I was like addicted to fantasy. I like live in my fantasy world. Or like I remember when I was eight and saw Roger Rabbit. I got the Roger Rabbit costume. I'd wear that shit year round, not just Halloween. Yeah. And so like when I discovered rap music at like at like nine years old, I like went into this like rap music world where I wanted to like betray that so much. So I think it's just about wanting to escape who you are. Um, they say addiction's a spiritual malady, not just like a physical dependency. Yeah. And the only way to fill a spiritual malady is with spirit. 
So like, drug addicts, we try to fill it with drugs, pills, drinks, sex, uh, food, you know, shopping, whatever it is. But nothing's gonna fill that except for like spirit that you get when you're in recovery and working a spiritual program. Yeah. Um, so I think early on, I just um, wanted to escape so bad that, you know, I didn't give a shit about uh, school or anything else and I discovered drugs. I was like, oh, because at first, drugs work for you. It's like, that was my spiritual awakening at first. You know, like, I like finally felt comfortable. I finally felt accepted. I finally felt like, you know, not awkward. So, I don't know. I ran with it. Yeah. But you didn't... But, like, the creative side wasn't that strong for you? Like, that wasn't something that you could, like, put yourself into back then? To escape? No. Yeah, I didn't do anything creative. Like, even throwing shows. I didn't do any of this until I got sober. But you were into, like, the Beastie Boys and stuff, right? Earlier on? Yeah, I was into rapping. Like, I I rapped. But I, like... Funny, every year I'd be like, Alright, this is a year where I'm really gonna make it rapping. I'm like gonna get beats from this person, try to get a feature from this person. Like, I knew the formula that would work, but, like, all I ever really did is, like, do drugs and, like, rap with my homies and, re- like, record it into a tape recorder in the car. Like, freestyling. Yeah. Like, I never, like, made music. I never even went into the studio until I got sober. Damn. What did your parents think of the whole thing? Oh, they weren't down with it. I, got, I was, like, kicked out of the house pretty early on. If I was using drugs, I wasn't allowed to live there. Which is good, you know, you have to, like, hit a hit... You gotta set a hard bottom if you're like kids on drugs. Yeah. Was her mom kind of like addictive personality? She was an alcoholic and now she's 19 years sober. Oh wow. Yeah, so she's been sober for a while. So even growing up, I knew about like um, AA. So I knew about the options to be sober. I knew it existed. Early on, like I'd get arrested a lot of times and um, usually it was like for like drug possession and they'd make you go to uh, meetings. So I knew about meetings, I knew about like, I knew it was out there. Yeah. Early on. And then kind of the turning point was, was it a teenage super soul or something? Yeah. Um, so, first I was really into hard drugs. I got off the hard drugs. And then, um, so I went to jail like 12 fucking times. And then I was completely sober, but I wasn't like doing AA or working any kind of spiritual program. I was just, um, I was just like not doing drugs. And then I started drinking, and I was like living with a girlfriend in Tarzana, and I started drinking like on the weekends. But every time I drank, it was like blacked out drinking. And also at the time I was reading a lot of Bukowski. Who like really- was romantic alcoholic. really romanticizes it, right? Yeah. Oh, and then we broke up, her and I. And that's when I was like, oh, this is finally my excuse to like drink. And then it became not just drinking on the weekends, I like started drinking every day. And we lived in the valley because she was going to school out there. And then I was able to move to Silver Lake and like really live this, um, you know, hipster, hopeless, drunk yeah. uh, fantasy I had in my mind. And then um, that year, I got a DUI on my 26th birthday. And then on my 27th birthday, I got a DUI. So I spent both those birthdays in jail. Yeah. And then all within six months after that second DUI, I got, um, yeah, only about six months after that second DUI, I got a violation for my probation, which sent me to jail. Then I got a cocaine possession charge, which sent me to jail. Then I got a weed sales charge, which sent me to jail. So that time in jail, I called my mom again, and I'm so delusional. I think sales, 180 days, LA County's packed. I get out in fucking 18 days. 
That didn't happen. Yeah. So I'm in jail, I call my mom, and she goes, are you ready to admit yet that you have a problem that you're an alcoholic? And um, I was like, no, I'm definitely not an alcoholic. And so I came across the AA book, the blue book we call it, in jail, and I started reading it and highlighting things I did not relate to, so I could call my mom and be like, look, I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> and also while doing that, I made a list that I was gonna put on my refrigerator when I got home, and if I broke this list, then I knew I might have a problem. And the list had ridiculous things like, um, <laughs> I was like, if I stay home, only beer and wine. If I go out, only four whiskey gingers. I only smoke weed when I watch a comedy movie. Like <laughs> so stupid specific. shit, right, really specific. Like rules. So I'm reading the AA book, and then I come across the second chapter, it didn't take long, and I read, it said, it was describing the different kind of drinkers. The social drinker, the problem drinker, and the alcoholic. And it said for the alcoholic, it said he is he is seldomly mildly t intoxicated. He's always insanely drunk. And I thought like, because even when I wasn't drinking every day, when I was just drinking on the weekends, when I was with that girl living together, I would get insanely drunk. I never like got mildly intoxicated. So when I read that part, I was like, shit. Yeah. I'm an alcoholic. And then I'm looking at this list that I wrote, and I was like, this list? Because by this time, I'm in jail like two months. And I'm, so the longer I sit with this list, I'm like, this list is insane. This is like, if I wasn't an alcoholic, I would need to make a fucking list like this. And yeah. then I came across, there's not a lot of good books in jail. So I come across um, uh, Teenage Soup for the Teenage Soul, which is like, if you don't know, it's like all stories written by teenagers for teenagers. And there was this whole chapter on friendship. And it was like these beautiful stories of like selfless friendships. And when I'm using, I am selfish as fuck. And I literally cried in my bunk reading this, thinking about like how I want, I want someone to be able to say this kind of stuff about me. I want to be like a selfless friend. And that's when I was like, I'm changing my life when I get out of here. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. And then was the first kind of thing you threw was what, uh, hipsters heart hip hop? Yeah, so I got out of jail, and like I'd done several years in the past, I was like, this year I'm going to make it rapping. And uh, by this time I'm like 28 years old. <laughs> so I should have already made it if I was going to make it. And um, part of my sentence was after three months in jail, I had to do three months of rehab. Uh, so in the rehab I got my phone. And so I went on Facebook, which um, isn't even a thing at that point, I even know. And I'm trying to look up, um, I'm like hitting up dudes and like I was in a different hip-hop scene then it was like very backpack freestyle type like you know what I'm saying yeah like that kind of hip-hop so I hit up people that were in that scene because prior to going to jail I was living in Echo Park and I wasn't really going to as many hip-hop shows I was going to mad like DIY like noise hipster shows mm -hmm. and like gallery spaces in Echo Park and Silver Lake that was like my scene I was like very hipster hipsters are hip-hop anyway yeah. so <laughs> I started hitting up uh, people that were in the rap scene to find out like what venues had the cool shows, where the open mics were, because I was just gonna go and like hit up mad shows when I got out, freestyle, cypher, with like all the kids outside, and just like get my get, get myself out there. And um, there were no cool shows, they're all bullshit. All the hip hop shows, this is like 2009, we're at um, a space called um, Terrace Theater, which is like a bullshit restaurant theater in Pasadena, like that's where the rap shows were. It was so stale and boring. And so, when I got out, I was back in Echo Park, and I um, went to Echo Curio, which is like a really cool gallery space where I'd go to all the time. They had like really cool shows. And it was like, you know, DIY noise shows where it was like, um, 
you pay five bucks, BYOB, bring your beer in a paper bag. All, you know, they don't check IDs, it doesn't matter. There's no stage, the band's like playing on the floor. It's very intimate. I loved how that felt. So I went there, because I knew the Dukes, I've been going there for years, and I said, yo, can I throw a rap show here? And he was like, yeah, fuck it, <laughs> why not? Yeah. So I didn't know anything about throwing shows. My whole idea was that I just wanted to like make a name for myself rapping and the rap scene seems so fucking stale. So I was like, I want to make it like these DIY shows that are so fun. I want it to be like an Echo Park like gallery space, five bucks, bring your own beer. Like that's like no stage, intimate. I wanted that same feel. And, um, and so my idea was that at the end of those kind of shows, the DJ would play instrumentals and like open the mic up to become open mic. And so my idea was, instead of doing that, I'd have an Echo Park band, like a synth, like a synthy band, play an improvised instrumental set at the end of the night, and we'd freestyle out of that. Yeah. So it has like an Echo Park flair to it. Mm -hmm. And my idea was that like, so I'm gonna tear up the open mic at the end of the night, at my own shows, that like, I'm gonna be put on. Matter of fact, maybe one of these bands might even ask me to join, who knows? Oh That's like where my mind was. Yeah. And so I threw the first show, and I didn't know anything about throwing shows, I didn't know about Facebook events, which isn't a thing now, but then it was. And like a lot of people came, I don't know. And um, it became a thing right away, my shows were like, it was so different, because it had that element of like Echo Park hipsterdom, you know? Yeah. That like, because of those kind of hip hop shows, all dudes, like girls were coming. I don't know, just had a cool feeling about it. And, um, and how, it turned out being yeah. better at throwing shows than rapping, so <laughs> I left the rapping behind eventually. You yeah. Know? All right, right now, we're going to go to this rooftop garden. Okay. It's we're my not, first sidewalk journey, guys. <laughs> you're not supposed to go up here unless you're a guest. Yeah. But we're going to film it, and if we get caught, we get caught. So now we're on a sidewalk. This is sidewalk journeys now. Sidewalk journeys. See, what I like about... Um, in LA, we have so many, like right now we're in Little Tokyo, and there's like, and you think like it's all city, it's all downtown, there's Skid Row, but there's so many little things, oh, yeah. like this rooftop garden, and so I love to like take a book and then just find serenity by like, I'm just gonna go up the street to this garden, and when I'm up here, I feel like I'm fucking in the, in the woods or in the mountains, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'm just looking at these pictures like over here. Yeah. So cool. Damn. What a how do you find places like this? I just guess people are just telling you. Internet research. Damn. I need to get better at this, guys. <laughs> wow. What the hell? Please go up here less, less, less Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is funny because what I was just kind of listening to. Yeah, I was just going to say. So now Lots we have. secret spot anymore. Now we have one, another secret spot. <laughs> I have more secret spots too. Yeah. Maybe another time. Alright, so how I got big names. Yeah. So at first I was doing these um, Hipsters Heart Hip Hop, their underground rap shows, and I reached out to like, I was very much into like the Shape Shifters, Freestyle Fellowship, Anacon. There was like a scene I was into. So I'd ask these dudes, that probably haven't been popping for like two years, like play my shows. They're all down, did it for the cheap. And then um, after two or three of the shows, I was friends with a guy named Chesky Ramos. Do you know who that is? No. You guys should all look up Chesky Ramos. He's this amazing rap, folk rapper, singer, like, he like is in a death metal band, he screams. He's a rapper and can rap really fast. He plays guitar and does folk music. His like sets, he raps and then he'll do a part where he'll like get on the floor and put bust out the guitar and he does like a folk oh, wow. rap, like fast rap. He's just so talented. 
and he has one of the last like popular indie rap labels like in like real hip-hop not like trap music called uh fake four records and so we're just friends i'm just a fan and we're just friends on facebook and he saw what i was doing like how the shows were and how it was this different atmosphere and he hits me up and he goes yo um so this is i've probably done two shows at this point maybe three <laughs> and he hits me up and goes yo do you want to do a show for AWOL 1? Um, so AWOL 1 is um, from the Shapeshifters. And it's like, like I would go to Shapeshifter shows. And it was like, I want to like break up with my girlfriend, quit my job, like <laughs> fucking do drugs and rap. Like it like, had such an influence yeah. on me. I loved the Shapeshifters. They're all like white and Latino dudes from Venice. that were like, just like graffiti kids. And they're yeah. like so cool. And so he was like, we're putting out AWOL 1 record. Do you want to do a show with AWOL 1? And I was like, holy shit, yes. Yeah. And then, so AWOL 1, I liked a lot. I liked Shapeshifters, but I was a huge fan of Anacon. Now, probably now you know Anacon as like weird beat stuff, right? Yeah. But back in the day, it was like weird hip-hop, like experimental hip-hop. And when I first heard Anacon, it was probably 1999 or 2000, so it was a long time ago. And I was like smoking weed in my car, listening to uh, Santa Barbara's college radio station. And the song came on called Bottle of Humans. And it was like this crazy rap song and it was like poetic and it was like different styles. And I was like, what is this? And that being soul from Anacon, but I later found out it was white, which influenced me because here I am. Because at the time, you know, I think Eminem just came out. Mm. It just wasn't a lot of white rappers. So I was like, oh shit. Like, and, and, and he was like, and the stuff I was trying to write back then was like very poetic and like emo. Uh, I'm also an emo kid. And so it was such a huge influence. So anyways, the next show, he goes, we're putting out Soul's record. Do you want to do a Soul show? And I was like, what? Oh, my God. And then he's like, I'm going to have Soul call you. He literally calls me, and it's like his voice from the records on my phone. So, like, that was already really cool. And yeah. then he was like, I'm coming to L.A. We're going to do a fake four fest. Do you want to help me throw it at that complex? Yeah. And this is, like, 2010. And it was... Freestyle Fellowship, The Shave Shifters, Sold in the Skywriter Band, just dudes that I was like, so Freestyle Fellowship was like the most important underground LA rap group. Um, you guys should look all this stuff up. Yeah. So that was like already a huge deal. And then later in 2010, I heard Little Be the Bass God. Yeah. And I loved it. And it wasn't like, it's not stuff I can play at Hipster's Heart Hip Hop. It wasn't that big back then when you first signed No. It. Yeah. I mean, Wonton Soup had just come out. Um, and I just loved, it was like, it was definitely stuff I couldn't play like my hip-hop shows I was yeah. doing. And then also that's when Waka Flocka's Heart in the Paint came out. And that record, Waka Flocka's Flocka Veli, especially Heart in the Paint, and Juicy J's Rubber Band Business, both produced by Lex Luger, was the start of like this new wave of trap music in 2010. It was like a whole new thing. And so when I heard this, I was like, I love this shit. And so I used to go to this night at the shortstop in Echo Park called uh, Wild, Wildlife Wednesdays and it's like a lot of OG LA party dudes. If you've been in the scene you probably know it's like it was Morse Code, uh, The Mike B, um, all these dudes are like guys I looked up to who are part of like the Steve Aoki, you know, a, um, uh, DJ AM Banana Splits kind of crew. So they do this rap night that would play like ignorant rap which is not what my shows were. And mm -hmm. I'd love, I'd go every Wednesday. I'd love it. My boys like do the cooking dance. <laughs> but they never played Little B because Little B wasn't that yeah. big yet. And so I went to the shortstop and I said, could I do a night here? And they're like, sure. They're like, you could do, um, yeah, this is before him and everything. Okay, so I was like, can I do a night here? And they're like, yeah, yeah you could do every other Thursday. And so I called it Hipster's Heart Hip Hop Presents Swag It Out at the Shortstop. Oh. Where all we played was like Little B, Gucci Man, Soldier Boy, <laughs> uh, Waka Flocka. 
And it was just so much fun. And I was like, I love this shit. And this was like, and like, I was like, I don't, and even, so at that night, I was talking to my homeboy DJ Stereotype and my homeboy Romo, who's my partner now. And I was like, I want to like change what I'm doing. I don't want to do hipsters heart hip hop. That pigeonholes me to like a certain kind of mm, thing. Yeah. I want to like branch out to where I can do this kind of stuff. And also I like stuff like Harmar Superstar. Do you know who that is? No. He's like this crazy dude that does like R&B soul music. He's like a fat white guy. And as he performs, like clothes comes off. Oh or like Ninja Sonic was popping yeah. back then. So I want to do like more different kinds of stuff. I don't want to be in this like pigeonhole like thing that I put myself in. So I was like, I'm going to change this to Gilham Productions. And my boy goes, oh, dog, we're going to go ham on everything. And I was like, holy shit, ham on everything. That's the name. That's so, like, weird and ambiguous. And so um, at the time also, this is 2010, I was going to a lot of warehouse parties. And in L.A. in 2010, because now you go to warehouse parties, you're going to hear rap, trap music, EDM. There was none of that in 2010. Warehouse party 2010 was house music, like straight up. So the well, who's like... Uh, salon and like clothing store now they used to have a warehouse and they throw these awesome fucking parties but it was like always house music so i loved the scene i loved that it was like these warehouse parties and it felt freeing and it felt like no restrictions but i fucking hate house music and it's like boring disco house music where after a while everyone's just like i'm like this is boring i was like but what we do at the shortstop people are going nuts yeah. they're cook dancing and they're like <laughs> girls are twerking and i was like all right what if we throw warehouse parties we're like, we play what we're playing at the shortstop, but we have like some performances as well. Yeah. And so that's how Ham on Everything started. And at first it was just like, I did like dudes that were just popping in our scene. There was like CBG, chill black guys, Chippy Nonstop, Speaks, uh, who like wrote Crayshon's Gucci Gucci. And I'd just do stuff like that. And I'd have dudes like V Mike B or Morse Code DJ. Yeah. And um, so the first thing I did actually is, I started managing Syra. Do you know who Syra is? She was on Skrillex record. Oh. Yo, Skrill, drop it hard. I don't know what she says. <laughs> but anyways, I like end up managing her and managing my boy Romo, who I'm partners with now. He had a group called Briefcase Scenario, and they like would wear tights and do like very sexual raps. It was like Beastie yeah. Boys meets Two Life Crew. Oh. And so I'm not like a manager. I don't want to be a manager. So part of where I what I wanted to do was like I knew because Syra came from an underground rap world. But she was making music now that was more poppy. And so I just, like, my first thing I did is I would go to the Standard a lot. And the Standard downtown would have this party called Sw Swimming with the Sharks that I, like, loved going to on Saturdays during the summer. So, like, I found out who was in charge of uh, um, events at the Standard. And I just went there. I have no experience, you know? Like, no experience. I just go there. I'm, like, have a meeting with him. And so I get a meeting with the guy. I tell him I want to do this, like, show here, da-da-da. And he gives me a chance. And that's why, like, if you're watching this and you want to, like, throw events, like, I just went to the shortstop and just, like, found out who was in charge and just asked. I went to yeah. the stand and just asked. You don't have to have, like, experience. You don't have to hit up other promoters that you're, like, a fan of to, like, put me on because they're not going to. They're busy. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, you have to put yourself on. So I just went to the standard and I was like, can I do a party here? And they were like, yeah, fuck it. You yeah. can. And so I did, like... I had, I think the first one, so briefcase scenario I was managing, they were like very sexual. So I did Ninja Sonic, who was like a very cool like hipster New York rap group because they were in town. So uh, them, Neapolitan, which was Dirt Nasty's girlfriend's group, but Dirt Nasty wrote the lyrics, so it was like yeah. very sexual. And it's Neapolitan because it was a black girl, a redhead, and a white girl. Oh. So it was like, and so it was like this. But even at that first show, yeah. Riff Raff came. Yeah. This is 2011. 
Riff Raff came, Lil Debbie came, The Nasty came, and at that point, these were like, because Krayshawn's Gucci Gucci video, that was like such a turning point for our scene. Mm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it was like, in that video, they're doing the little bee cooking dance. They're on Fairfax, on features in the background. So like to have Riff Raff and Lil Debbie and these people at my party, I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. And then I um, booked Briefcase Scenario. I got them on this show at a place called The Villa, which is Anthony who throws Overpass. You know Overpass? No. Oh, it's like the worst. I shouldn't say that. It's like an after hours for people that want to do cocaine. <laughs> and so he used to do this thing called The Villa. So I, I booked him for the show. There's this cool like two-story empty house in Westlake and like um, MacArthur Park. And I found out who owned it, and I talked to him, like, can I get your number? Yeah. And I was like, can I do parties here? And it was like, could go till 4 a.m. So I started doing, on January 2012, every first Wednesday of the month, I just for that month, I did a party called uh, Ho House, because yeah. it was an empty house, and Ho, ham on everything. Oh. And on the last one, yeah. I got Danny Brown to perform as like a secret guest yeah. and he was like 2012 he's pretty big at the point yeah and at that party i would do like i think i did free alcohol the first hour so like a line would build up and this was like the start of everything because then people got in their mind oh to get to hand you gotta go early oh. and then like i don't know that just like from there everything just jumped off yeah and then i like and it's funny because since then obviously it's like when I did the shortstop, I just wanted to play a little B. I just wanted to play yeah. Waka Flocka. I had no... And you got them in the end. Yeah, I had no aspirations to book them to perform. That wasn't even a thought in my mind. And it's like, not only do... Because when I book people for a warehouse party, they're not... Like, they get a lot of money. Waka Flocka gets a lot of money to do a show, to do a fucking Hollywood club walkthrough. I don't have that kind of money. It's a DIY warehouse party. So for them to do these shows, they're taking less money, which means they have an understanding of like, oh, this is about a culture. Yeah. This isn't like a money place, it's a culture play. So like not only have I got Waka Flock or a little bit of play, it's like they recognize him on everything as an essential part of the culture and that's like insane. Yeah, how did you kind of explain that to them or like make them understand what Ham and everything was about? Um, I always do pitches, but stuff like Waka Flocka came about because his manager was also managing Azizi Gibson, and oh. so he knew about Ham through that. So usually it's like they find out about it, you know? Yeah. But I used to do like, a, now they all know, or I just like send links, but I used to do like this big pitch about like yeah. who had been there and like what it's about and like the scene. Because a lot of times, now they're used to warehouse shows, they didn't know, like when I had Waka perform, he had just done a real concert, two Hollywood Club walkthroughs. And then it's like three in the morning. He and comes, he's still had energy. Oh, he's amazing. Crazy. He comes to the ham party. And he hasn't even seen the warehouse yet. He's like in the back little area. And he's like tired. He's like, yeah, let's do this shit. And he comes out and it's full of kids. And I didn't even announce that he was playing. It's packed with kids and he's like, holy shit. He didn't so he expect that So he performs. Down. It's hot. He takes his shirt off. He's like covered in sweat. performing. He jumps behind the DJ booth and starts DJing trap music. <laughs> and his bodyguards are like, let's go. And he's like, nah. He gets back on the mic does oh more gosh. songs so Damn. it's like to them I remember like or when I, when I had a little Debbie play early on and she would like explain to like I mean, little Debbie and V Nasty do a set together and V Nasty's asking about a green room and this and this and Debbie's like nah trust me it's not like that it's like a warehouse thing you just like go cause rappers like weren't used to this warehouse atmosphere but now it's like everyone tries to do you know yeah. it but so I don't know yeah. how like I somehow there was an open niche yeah. and I just filled it and it wasn't intentional. Yeah. But then the Lil B one, wasn't the space kind of small and like couldn't co fit like the capacity? So for that, Lil B, obviously that's why I started throwing him on everything. Yeah. He was like the main inspiration. 
and we talked. I've been trying to book a little beat since 2000, probably since 2011. Yeah. And this didn't happen probably till 2015 or 14. So we had talked a bunch. We knew each other. We DM'd a lot. And then Unif, who's my good friend Eric, yeah. you know, the clothing brand, he was like, let's throw a show together. And I was like, do you want to do a little beat? I know they have money. And I was yeah. like, I just couldn't afford a little beat. He was like, yeah, let's do a little beat show. And, um, and then he requested for a million dollars. Oh, he wanted them to... Um, he wanted them to... Was uh, it like someone to DJ, Lindsay Lohan to DJ? Yeah. Well, first he was like, hey, do you Barry think... He, he's like, I want to do an app for him on everything. Do you think Unif will put a million dollars into it? And I was like, no. And then he's like, all right, let's get like Lindsay Lohan to DJ. And I was like, bro, you're already asking for like $15,000. Yeah. And so it finally worked out and we're doing it at the region. At this point, I hadn't done many shows at like actual venues. And so I think when I told the... When I, you know, asked the region to do the show, it's a free show, little B... I don't think they knew who Little B was. They didn't know what Ham and Everything was. And I tried to explain, like, it's going to be crazy. The security like, a sold out ready. show. They weren't ready. They didn't have, like, bike racks in line. Oh. So it was just, like, a mess. SWAT team came. Yeah. Um, they were trying to, like, shut... And then my idea, because uh, Earl Sweatshirt was there, who's, like, big at the time. Yeah. Still big, probably. Yeah. I was like, yo, will you go to the balcony when you, like, tell everyone to, like, be cool so it doesn't get shut down? That made everyone go insane when they saw Earl Sweatshirt. Oh, yeah, of course. How do you... It was just crazy, and then, yeah. like, they wanted to shut it down, and they said the only way they're not going to shut it down is if we don't let anyone else in. So it was, like, half full. But it was cool. It was um, Little B, Trash Talk, and Whore. Yeah. And then, like, Wiz performed on your birthday, right? Yeah, and that was crazy, too. Like, and it makes you look so cool. Like, I like, know Wiz. I don't know Wiz. <laughs> but my boy Gabe was, like, doing stuff with him, and then he invited Wiz to come to the warehouse party. And this happened to be my birthday. And he, like, Wiz... It's so packed in this warehouse that he has to enter on the stage to get to the side where, like, it's more chill. But when he enters, everyone goes crazy. And his mixtape, his new mixtape, was coming out the next day. So his DJ came up to me with a flash drive. goes, yo, do you want to play some tracks from yeah. Wiz's new mixtape? I said, all right. So I put the tracks on, and the Wiz comes on stage. Everyone goes, like, fucking nuts. And then I, like, try to pass him the mic. And he's like, no, just let it play. And the first track plays, everyone's going so crazy. He's like give me the mic <laughs> and then he did like a bunch of fucking songs yeah and then he tweeted um the rave loves trap whiz like <laughs> yeah shit like that just happened like just synchronicity just happens yeah like the coolest things that happen i don't plan my reading place how <laughs> it's nice so it nice um it is really relaxing with the music <laughs> and what do you think now of like the current I guess Rob, like all the Lil Pumps. See, the... I'm just now excited again. Yeah. Last year, in the beginning of the year, I lost my passion and love for doing this shit. And I didn't, like... Oh, what were, happened? People were even asking me, they were like, oh, do you still do ham? I just, like, um, and you know, and I, I just, well, first, at the end of 2015, well, Ghost Ship was a DIY venue in San Francisco that burned and people died. Oh. And so after that happened, I did a party the next week and the cops busted it. And I was like, it feels not safe to do these parties right now. Because mm. if a party gets busted, then like I lose money off top. Because oh, yeah. I like need the door money to cover costs and to make money. But then, why well, I really lost my passion was, so like everything like Little Pump, yeah. um, Smoke Perp, all these guys that are like huge right now. Yeah. I booked all of them. I you know, booked Little Pump for 500 bucks. I like did smoke. When was this? People blew up so fast. This is literally the beginning of 2016. That's so fast. You know, now he's probably like 30 racks. Yeah. <laughs> Booked him for 500 bucks. 
I did um, Smoke Perps, not his first show in LA, his first show ever. Oh wow. You know, because I, I would just, I did Post Malone's first show, yeah. you know, and like, and so I did all these guys' first shows, and then we like, then stuff like Day and Night Fest, um, Rolling Loud happens, and now it's like these underground acts, it's not underground, it's like, you know, they're trying to turn it into Festival Trap, pretty much, you know? Because yeah. I think Festival Trap's really lame too. I don't know, you might be into it. <laughs> but I just think like, when something gets too commercialized, because I do ham on everything, because it's always been about the underground DIY culture to me. And so at first I felt like pressure to like keep delivering. They were blowing up so yeah. quick, quick. I was like, oh, I need to deliver. I need to like chase cloud. Oh, this 14-year-old, 12-year-old kid, kid Maddox is blowing up. I need to get him first. Then it's like, wait a minute. Like, I'm not passionate about this. I don't want to fucking chase clout. I don't give a mm. shit about clout at all. And I just, like, made me upset. and made me be like, I don't want to, I don't, like, give a fuck anymore. Like, I, I don't know. I think, like, this, like, and then I, and then now there's, like, this whole new underground scene that's coming up. Which, to me, is, like, where the space that Little Pete was in. Where it's, like, kids that are making, you know, SoundCloud rap, but the but the backbones of it is in Atlanta trap music. It's alternative music and emo music. Yeah. So, you know, we have people like, um, you know, Little People's in that space, the rest of Gothway Click, Wicked Phase, um, this guy, Dylan Ross, um, there's a guy, uh, Little Aaron, Little mm -hmm. Lotus. And I think there's like this whole new, like, thing, and it's made me excited again. Oh, and yeah. also now it's like, since the music is now having, like, coming from alternative and email music, now I could, like, put on, because I do shows now, like, the last show I did, I had Gangsta Boo, who's, like, you know, a Memphis OG. I had her perform. Yeah. Then I had a Little Toe, who's a guy that dresses in a foot costume and rap. And he actually is, like, a hardcore kid that came from, like, a hardcore punk yeah. background. And then I had Girl Pusher, who's, like, this really dope band play. And it's, like, I've... Because in 2013, I tried to do a show where I had a band play, and the Ham Kids, like, did not get it and didn't fuck with oh. it. But now, because, like, we're getting centered in alternative music, I can have bands play, like, punk bands as well as rap. And I like that it's, like, everything's crossbreeding into this, like, it makes me more excited. So I don't want to do a little pump show. I don't want to do, like, any of that. Yeah. I want to do, like, this new thing. Yeah. Where were you actually when you found out about, like, the little peep and Fredo Santana passing away? Well, it's fucked up about the little Pete thing is that my good friend uh, is his manager, was his manager, Chase, also manages Antoine, and I was walking to go see a band called Sorority Noise Play, it's like a really cool emo band, and um, I walk into the show and it's at the Regent, and I get a text from Chase that said, Pete died overdose. And I called him immediately, and I was like, what? And he was, like, crying, and he's like, yeah, I just got the news. Da, da, da. I checked Twitter, and no one knew he passed yet, but everyone knew he had overdosed. Oh, yeah. And so I'm at this show, and every, like, two minutes, I'm, like, updating to see if people know yet. Like, when are people going to find out? I feel like I'm sitting with this, like, heavy burden, this, like, heavy secret. Yeah. And it was, like, very, um, wow. it was dark and uh, sad. Yeah. He was, like... So talented. Yeah. He was uh, great. Yeah. And then Fredo, I just happened to um, wake up that morning he died because he died like the early, you know, late, early hours, whatever. Then I woke up like at four in the morning and saw it and I was like, shit. I started tweeting my memories of Fredo because Fredo's someone that um, I have a lot of history with where like 
as far as like trap rap. You know, Fredo's a scary looking dude. He had the upside down cross and like, um, I booked Fredo the first time in 2014 for like a show I did for Colt 45 with Juicy J and Lil Debbie. Fredo didn't have a manager, he didn't have a booking agent, you know? So he was like, yeah, I'm down to do it. I need half the money. Can you meet me at Benihana's? And I'm like, in Santa Monica? So I go to Benihana to meet him and I'm kind of sussed out because like, there's no agent, there's no manager. What if he just like takes half the money and dips and doesn't do the show? Oh. You know? But then I go to meet him at Benihana and I look in his eyes and I'm like, oh, me and my partner Romo, we're like, he's a good dude. Yeah. You can like tell. Like there's something in his eyes where you can tell he's trustworthy and just like a good guy. Mm. And I felt comfortable. And so he shows up to the show, does his set, and then during Juicy J's set, Chief Keef shows up. Because you know, they're cousins. Yeah. And Chief Keef is like, such an influence in like the current rap scene right now. All the influence comes from Little B, Chief Keef, and um, Space Ghost Part, as far as like the scene goes. Yeah. And so Chief Keef shows up, so as soon as Juicy J was done, I let Chief Keef and Fredo go back on. <laughs> they just like rap, they have these gun raps going back and forth. The venue turns the lights on, it's two in the morning. They cut all the sound except for the monitors, they're still rapping. Oh my gosh. They love rapping. And yeah. then, that was in like October, of 2014 and then January 1st like the first day of the new year yeah. I get a like 3 in the morning I get a DM from Fredo yeah. and he goes um, yo little Reese is in town let's do a GBE reunion show with me Reese and Chief Keith can you get this like crazy amount of money Yeah. and I was like no I, and the show he watched the show like in 3 days Yeah. Um, like I can't get that kind of money I was like this is the most I can get yeah. and he goes fuck it I'll cover the rest I want this to happen so he covered the rest to make Chief Keith and Reese do it. And we did this GBE reunion show and it was like nuts. Um, it was huge. And then I booked him just last year in April. Um, his girlfriend was pregnant. He just got clean off drugs. Yeah. I never, like he looked like a new man. He looked so like clear, his eyes looked so, he had so much clarity. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's sad. Yeah. Dumb. And even Little Peep, that's someone I booked so early on. like. Because my boy Ned Arb, who's like my favorite of the streets, like the a underground rap A and R, he kept saying little peep, little peep, little peep, and um, it was before Crybaby came out, and I was like, yeah, I'll put him on a show because Ned Arb keeps saying it's like a good look. Mm -hmm. So I had him open. It was like Larry June, Thousand Band Fani, and Little Peep, which doesn't even make sense. And um, Little Peep brought out Ghost Man, and, like other dudes to perform with him. I don't know. He just had like he was someone else that was like selfless. And like, cause every time I had him perform, perform like him three or four times, he like bring his friends to perform too. He just like loved his friends and he was just like that kind of dude. Yeah. And it was like, and even that first time I was like, oh, this is like, he's going to be big. This is really good. So when Crybaby came out, I was doing a radio show at Dash Radio and um, I heard Crybaby before it came out and I was like, this is amazing. He like sampled brand new. And I was like, this isn't sick. I love, you know, brand new yeah. and all this other stuff. And I was like, this is amazing. And so I did my whole radio show. We played the entire album. Then I had Little Peep come yeah. in and we like talked to him about it. And um, then I remember later that year he did Nature World Night Out. And when he came out, I was like, he's a star. And this is before yeah. he blew up. But I was like, he's a star. He's mm. like going to be a star. And he was on his way. Yeah. And like after he passed, like I knew that he had made a big impact. But he had a huge fucking impact. Yeah. There was like memorial services all over the fucking world. Russia, everywhere. Like, I didn't realize he had such an impact on people. And I think that it's a tragedy he died. But I think he probably would never expect 
what an impact his music yeah. had on people, and I'm sure he'd be happy about it. Yeah. What was your um, decision to start the ham radio? Growing up, I was just really into like uh, Sway and Tech, The Wake Up Show, and there's like I just liked hip hop. Like how you said, I discovered soul listening to college radio. I just loved radio, like hip hop radio shows. So at first, uh, we went to Dash Radio, and it was just like we we're gonna play new hip hop and like interview rappers when they come in. It was like an interview show, like it is now, but like we had Little Peep come in yeah. and Fat Nick and um, you know Wi-Fi's Funeral, Smoke Perp, Warhols, all these dudes. Right before they blew up, they just come to hang out, and then All Def Digital reached out to me, and they were like, "Oh, do you, let's like film it and make it an interview show." And so now it's um, you know more less of a radio show yeah. and more of just like an interview show. Yeah, which is cool. And what kind of and like the spiritual side kind of you're doing um, these things with like the emo night people. Yeah. So if I just tweeted last night that like I have all these goals for 2018 and I broke them into three categories career personal growth and free time and part of my personal growth and free time is I want to like volunteer for stuff more mm. probably stuff that has to do with like mental illness yeah. and addiction because close to me or like last year I spoke at like an arts high school about what I do for a living and the kids were like inspired oh, and like wow. came and circled me and asked me more questions afterwards and some of them still email me and like wow. stuff like that gives me like such healthy and positive validation because I'm addicted to validation so I can try, try to grab it from like um, if I try to grab it from like doing ham on everything that's not positive validation that's me like that's like clout I'm like ooh let me get this clout but like that's not fulfilling the way volunteering is or the way speaking to like an arts mm. high school and having like affecting people that way and so in the wake of um, Peep's death in the wake of Peep's death I mean we're in an opiate epidemic right now and it's like insane last year more people died from a lethal overdose than as many people than, than the amount of people that died in the Vietnam War Oh, more wow. people died last year from an opiate overdose than car crashes, than gun violence. Damn, I didn't realize then, that. Th more people died last year from, a, from the opiate, opiate epidemic than HIV AIDS in the height of that epidemic. It's like really bad right now. And um, after the death, you know, I think it woke people up in our scene. And my friend Brittany Scott hit me up, hit up me and Morgan from Emo Night, because Morgan's also in recovery. So she reached out to me in Oregon and said, um, Let's do a community community nightlife meeting and like talk about the opiate epidemic. Yeah. And um, we did that, and like I didn't know if anybody would show up, but like 50 or so kids showed up, oh, wow. and they were like asking questions, and it was like felt like this open dialogue. And we had an EMT do a whole presentation. This EMT who runs an organization called N Overdose, he did a whole uh, presentation about how to tell if someone might be overdosing, what you could do as a first responder, what Narcan is, which saves lives, how to administer it, which is actually mad easy. And um, and the big thing is we don't want to be like, don't do drugs, because do drugs if they're fun for you, you know, like, that's cool. I don't do them, because uh, I had a problem with them, but if you could do it and don't have a problem, then fuck it. Right? Yeah. But, the, but you have to do drugs responsibly. So it's like, don't do drugs alone, especially if you're doing opiates and pills, because you don't know if it's cut with fentanyl. So, oh, yeah. do, you know, if it's too heavy and he's overdosing, at least you're not overdosing also and you could help. There's like things you can do to like 
for harm reduction. So we did my life meeting, it was awesome. I think we're gonna do another one in February about mental health. I think we're gonna do another one in March about sexual harassment at parties. Mm. I just feel like it's such a good time to have this open format. And like, I, oh, I just tweeted the other day, I said, you know, so so far with my goals, the only thing I focus on this month is career and money. But my primary purpose as someone that was like an addict, someone that like lived in, I lived in my car in a Denny's parking lot at one point, and like to come from that to like where I'm at now, I didn't come from that just so I could be self-serving and throw parties and make money and get a little like, you know, local celebrity or whatever. I came from that. My primary purpose is to help other people and to be a service. And so like, so I want to do more of these community meetings. I want to like, because already like people like DIY underground parties because they like the sense of community. That's why I liked it. But there's more you could do than just party together. You know, yeah. so I think these like community meetings are good. I want to do other. I'm gonna think I'm gonna start organizing other things like group hikes, mm. other things that get these kids are in the scene. Because a lot of us, you know, we party, we deal with depression. So it's like to be able to connect with people from the scene in other ways besides parties. I think is awesome on social media. It's like so popular and so cool to like be sad or be depressed, be a sad boy. Like you see your fucking retweets right now, but it's like that narrative needs to change and so something I do is like I, I am vulnerable on Twitter and Instagram I do like my self-care Sunday and I do these Instagram stories where I'm going on a on a walk in a garden alone or I'm doing this or doing that and I'm like just talking about self-care and I'm getting all these kids DMing me like this is so inspirational thank you da 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 you know oh, yeah. so it's all about changing the narrative and making like self-care cool because yeah we're sad and we're depressed but like it's not cool to just be sad and depressed. It's cool to like get help. Yeah. And self-care is actually really tight. Yeah. And it doesn't have to, and self-care doesn't have to be like this big grand gesture. Like I go on Sundays to the farmer's market to buy flowers for my kitchen. That's self-care and that makes me feel good. Like it'd be something, it could be something so simple. And if like you're stressed out to take a walk. Yeah. It's like, you know. And that ties into my last question. What do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for being of service and like a big thing like you're not I'm an AA I'm not supposed to you're not supposed to promote AA because yeah. it's attraction not promotion but a big thing in AA is we say the primary purpose of an alcoholic is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics mm -hmm. and that's like my primary purpose and it's like maybe I'm not as involved in AA and like sponsoring other addicts as I could be but something I think about is that I could be someone's only experience they have that day with a sober person. So if I'm a good influence, because I have a youth following, so if I'm a good influence to the youth, if I'm showing them like I could be sober and still be in the scene, or that self-care is cool, like I just want to be, if I'm the only experience they have of, of a sober person that day, I want it to be like a positive experience. And that's what I want to be known for. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. Totally, that was thank awesome. You. <laughs> Bye. Bye.